This is the Doubles Only Tennis Podcast, where you learn the best tips and strategies in the world to help you become a smarter, more effective tennis player. You'll hear interviews with pro tour doubles players and coaches, including easy-to-use lessons to improve your game and win more matches. My name is Will Bocek, founder of the Tennis Tribe, doubles strategy coach, and host of the show. Today you're going to hear from a repeat guest of the show, Ellen Perez. We caught up with Ellen at the WTA Finals where she was the first alternate. Uh, And if you remember, we chatted with her and Nicole Melikar Martinez, her doubles partner, back in Toronto, and they went on to have a really successful fall. So we talk in this conversation a little bit about that. And at the beginning of the conversation, we're actually watching the end of uh, one of the matches there at the WTA Finals on the TV. Uh, And Ellen kind of talks us through what's going on uh, during some of the points. Uh, She talks us through how to play Um, some of the players on the court. So you get a little bit of insight there. Um, We tried to edit it uh, down a little bit because there's a lot of dead space in between the points and things like that. So it's a little slow, but you do get some good insights there uh, before we dive into the interview, um, which which starts a a minute or two into this episode. Uh, And then during the interview, um, Ellen talks about how she gets started in tennis. uh, And you get some really good takeaways from how a player at the professional level, manages uh, singles versus doubles. So she's still um, trying to make it in singles, uh, you know, crack that top 100-ish ranking or so. Um, And she's hovered around 200 for a while, and and her singles ranking has kind of fluctuated. And then obviously, um, she's made it in doubles. So we talk a lot about how she manages that, um, as well as her experience at the WTA Finals, uh, what went so well for her and Nicole throughout the fall, and plans for 2023. So um, this is a brief conversation, but it is a, a good one with some good insights into uh, the professional doubles life. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Ellen Perez. Hey everyone, we're live here with Ellen Perez and Hanlon Walsh back on the show. Uh, Ellen, this is your second appearance on the show and we're watching uh, Dabrowski almost and Kitchenock Ostapenko. It's 8-7 in the third, now 8-all. Uh, let's talk through these last few points here before we get to the interview. What are you seeing so far? Um, I'm seeing that this could go either way, really. Um, I feel like the momentum was started out with Gabby and Juju. Um, and then obviously Ostapenko and Luda took the lead for a little bit. But there's been a lot of easy errors coming from them. So we'll see. Forehand error there from Ostapenko in the net. And now Dabrowski, is she serving next? It's 9-8. Ostapenko hasn't been as solid on return, actually. What do you think the call was? Okay, here we go. So so Gabby's serving, Juju at the net. I think they're in I. They went back in Ostapenko down the line return. They should have gone forehand. There's a glare. I can't see. What (laughs) happened? They should have listened to Ellen and gone forehand. Mm -hmm. She got burned on that earlier in the match, though. I think late first set. That was Juju, though. Yeah, it's a bit of a balance between choosing to go maybe your strength versus the opponent's strength or weakness. And sometimes you want to do the element of surprise. I think they maybe had been going a few times to the forehand of Ostapenko and wanted to maybe surprise her there. Yeah, it seems like you can uh, 
beat Ostapenko's forehand with a little pace if you rush it a little bit? Yeah, she likes it. She has a big swing. She goes for it. So right. it's a little bit riskier. Um, if she connects well, you're in trouble. <laughs> right. But yeah, I think that's kind of what the idea is there. Big shot by Kitchenock. So now Kitchenock and Ostapenko have a shot to serve it out up to nine here. Will this eliminate uh, Gabby and Juju if they lose this, or will they still be in it? <laughs> I think it guarantees that they can't make the final two. They could play for three and four. They lost in straight sets. To yeah, then it, then it would. Wouldn't help their cause. Yeah, I, th- I don't think they're totally eliminated. I think they needed one set here, but they need a lot of help. Well, oh, wow. There's some big help. There's <laughs> that Overhead straight crazy. net by Ostapenko, her second one of the match breaker. That adds to the easy ones that they've missed in this time. Oh, that was right on the net. What would you tell your partner right now if they just missed an overhead on this point? <laughs> get off the court. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> no, I'm super supportive and like no worries, we'll get it back and just move on with that type of thing. Second serve for Kitchenock. Ooh. Gabby's pumped. She took a risky serve plus one down the line and missed it in the net. It's been paying off for her, though. Uh, Gabby's been moving a lot, crossing right. a lot. I think um, Kitchenock's actually burned her a few times with that line ball, so I think yeah. Gabby was holding in that situation, and it was obviously a risky ball to take line. But Yeah, it looked like Juju had decent depth on that return, too. There it is. Oh, wow. Big win for them on Juju's serve. Serve. And- yeah, served the backhand to Ostapenko, and they closed it out. So are Ostapenko oh, that's big. and um, Kitchenock eliminated now that they're at 0-2? Because they've lost two three-setters. They were both three-setters, so I think they're still in. Yeah, well, Saturday will certainly be interesting. For we'll see how it goes. So, um, so Ellen, welcome back to the show. Uh, you're here in Fort Worth as the first alternate. Uh, just barely missed the top eight. Um, how's the week been so far, though? Week's been okay. It's been very interesting. Um, it's a case of, you know, being grateful to be here, but also a little bittersweet not being able to play. Um, mm-hmm. It's, yeah, an interesting schedule we have to follow, having to be ready to be able to go on court maybe for 3 o'clock and then come back and maybe have to go on second after 7 p.m. and things like that. Um, so it's not obviously the ideal situation, but it is nice to just be here and be amongst it. Sure. And uh, last time we chatted was – in Toronto, um, and we talked a little bit of strategy, a little bit about how the year uh, had gone. And then since then, um, you went on, I think that day was your semifinal match. You won that, made the finals in Toronto, made the finals in Cincinnati, won in Cleveland, semifinals at US Open. Y'all really went on a tear um, after coming on the podcast, which clearly helped some, but I'm sure there were some other factors too. Uh, how do you uh, just talk us through the fall and, and tell us, you know, what went so well for you and Nicole? Um, I think just a lot started to click for us. You know, every time you can get another match on the court, you start to feel better about your game plans, what you guys are trying to achieve and doing well. And then you can start to work on things slowly throughout the year. And I think it was just a balance of that, getting a lot of matches, getting some good wins against um, tough opponents, kind of getting that belief. Um, obviously there was things we started to work out that we needed to work on or, you know, you, you work out each other a little bit too, you know, when you're in a certain situation, you, you, are, you have an uh, idea about what your partner might be doing in that situation. So you can kind of lean one way or 
look for a certain ball. Um, and I think that's kind of all it came down to was that we, we understood each other better. Um, obviously, you know, you build a stronger relationship connection on the court. Um, and yeah, it was just kind of, once we got that confidence, we kept the ball rolling. Sure. And, uh, uh, I wanted to, we didn't talk much in Toronto about your story. You're from Australia. You played at Georgia. Tell us in maybe a couple of minutes your tennis story. How'd you get started in tennis um, to where you are now? Okay, quick story. I uh, yeah. started tennis when I was about seven. Um, I actually started by being gifted like a totem tennis pole, which is kind of like this pole you stick in the grass and it's a, like a ball attached to a string. Okay. So, um, and yeah, I used to get out there and hit the ball, just had really good um, hand-eye coordination. So my dad wanted to get me started in tennis and he also used to play a little bit. So that's kind of how that got started. And then when I was 16, I decided I needed to move for my tennis. Um, I was probably only doing like an hour a day, five times a week type thing until I was 16 and knew it wasn't enough. Um, so I went to distance education and made the move to Melbourne. Mm -hmm. um, and I lived in Melbourne training at the National Academy um, for two years. And then at 18, um, I knew I wasn't quite ready for the pros. I was playing pro. I think maybe I was around the four five hundred in in the world, but I knew that I had plenty of injuries. And at the time of deciding maybe the college pathway, um, I actually had an injury. So it made sense for me to at least commit to college. And I went for, ended up going for three years to the University of Georgia. Um, and I felt like, you know, it gives you that opportunity to have that backup degree, um, play um, a lot of matches. And, you know, those colleges will take you to tournaments throughout the year and things like that. So it didn't really um, inhibit me from going pro. I actually think for me personally, it helped me, um, in transitioning. Um, and then, yeah, moved back to Melbourne. Um, but I can't say I'm in Melbourne too often, um, yeah. being Australian, I feel like I'm always on the road traveling a lot. And mm -hmm. yeah, even that COVID year, I was away for eight and a half months without going home and things like that. So yeah, just trying to figure out, uh, my base overseas potentially next year and things like that. But that's, that's kind of the story. So uh, last time we chatted a little bit about kind of balancing doubles versus singles. Um, can you tell us if you have any plans for next year as far as doubles versus singles um, commitments with a partner or what might happen in 2023? Yeah, so I'm committed to playing with um, Nikki for um, next year um, okay. and definitely want to still continue with my singles. So it will be a bit of a balancing act. Um, mm -hmm. I think I'll start out um, hopefully with some opportunities at the Australian summer. Um, unsure, obviously, how that'll go down. With We have a lot of Aussies, obviously, putting their hand up for wild cards. Sure. Um, and then I think post-Australian Open, I'll, I'll play a few ITFs, um, working through a schedule of whether I go to Dubai and Doha because they're the, the tough ones that come so quickly after um, mm -hmm. the Australian Open. And But, yeah, definitely going to do all the big double events. Um, I'm committed to, um, you know, honouring mine and Nikki's commitment and doing that. And then the idea is to hopefully do well early so then it opens up the opportunity to skip a few doubles events maybe later and be able to play some singles. Um, this back end of the year, we obviously were in quite a rush to try and um, get yeah. some doubles points. And I, I don't even think we used all of our doubles events to go towards the year-end finals. I think um, we only played like eight or so events together. So yeah. we left three tournaments begging. Um, yeah. So we definitely don't want that to happen. We want to try and play as much as we can the start, start of the year, do well, and then hopefully it opens up a more flexible schedule for the back end of the year. But right. it's kind of ever-evolving at this point. Yeah, Yeah, it seems like it should work out if you all can – uh, continue that level because I would imagine 
you know, they're probably top two or three in terms of like points per tournament average or however you'd want to measure that. Um, especially since you only partnered up this summer, right. Um, to finish in the top 10 in the race and only have about half the year. Uh, it's super, super impressive. Yeah, I guess so. If you look at it that way, um, didn't really think of that. Um, yeah, the back end of the year, I would say we were probably one of the more successful teams. Obviously, the mm-hmm. Czech girls being, you know, the powerhouse team right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like we were the most informed, maybe second or third team at the time. Um, but yeah, it obviously hurt us not playing the whole year and not having enough tournaments on the schedule. So, yeah, that is kind of nice to know and, um, you know, something that we can take with us going forward. But you never know with a new year and different teams changing partnerships and all that. It all happens kind of at the Australian Open where you see a whole new doubles um, lineup. So we'll see how we we start the season. Let's talk about your singles game for a little bit uh, because you've had a lot of success in singles this fall, both um, qualifying for some main draw WTAs and ITFs. So tell us a little bit about your singles results this fall and what do you think some of your strengths on the singles court are? Yeah, my singles results are always very up and down. I, I know what I'm capable of. I know that I've played quite a few good players and either taken them close or occasionally got the win here and there. Um, but, yeah, the, the tough part is always balancing the doubles and singles, and I feel like when I start to do well in doubles, I then neglect a little bit of singles training. Um, and, yeah, I, it's – a case of playing some doubles events and then going to a singles events and it's been three or four weeks since I've played one. And if you don't get the good draw or things like that, it's not easy to get um, the rhythm back and the confidence back. And that's kind mm. of the, the thing that's kept me back. I, I think I got lucky in Tokyo. Um, I actually played a wild card in the first round of qualifying and, and that was honestly the biggest difference in why I qualified there. If I, you know, you draw one of those girls who's 50, 100 in the world, I'm not winning it. And it's, it's just kind of the facts. Like you kind of get to feel your game, feel the court, work your way into like moving again. And so I'm kind of relying on things like that. And, um, the same thing, even in San Diego, I managed to draw Bavara Flink, um, who was also, I think entered on a protected, but that draw was stacked. Um, there was girls between 30 in the world and a hundred in the world. And I've gotten the one girl that, uh, I've taken a seeded spot. I think the number one seed spot, and that's another opportunity where I was able to, you know, work my way into it. Um, so maybe a little bit of luck in that aspect. But then when I do finally get going, I feel like I have a lot of weapons that can hurt some of these girls. I, you know, I like to be aggressive on my forehand. I can sometimes play pretty heavy with the ball. I, most people actually say I play a little bit like a guy, um, which I think, you know, plays to my favor. Um, being left-handed also helps. I think, you know, a lot of people don't like playing lefties or aren't used to it, the different spins that come with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I feel like I have a pretty versatile game. Like I can move forward. I've got decent movement around the baseline. I can finish at the net if I need to. Um, my serve's a bit of a weapon. So if I can put it all together, I've got the game there, but it's just a struggle with finding the the confidence and the consistency throughout the year to, to keep it at that level. Yeah. You talked a little bit about how your preparation is different for doubles and singles. Can you um, talk about that a little more? How, you know, if you're entering a, a tournament and you know you're only playing doubles or you know you're only playing singles, what does the prep look like in terms of uh, practice time, drills you're doing, um, anything else that, that comes to mind? Yeah, it's actually changed quite a bit because at the start of the year, I would say up until kind of San Jose, um, I always had a singles mindset and mm-hmm. I always practiced like I was 
playing singles. And most of the time I was playing singles, my ranking was around 200. So I was going there for qualities of singles, training always singles, playing singles points. And then when I would get eliminated from the singles, I'd go into a bit more of a doubles mindset for a few days. And then the back end of the tournament, I'd start playing singles again, knowing that I might be going to a singles on Saturday or Sunday to play qualifying again. Mm. So I'd always make sure I kept singles points up and I'd traveled with a coach for most of the past year and a bit. Um, and was able to work on things. And then it, by San Jose, I actually had no coach and was committed to a very heavy high-end double schedule with, you know, a lot of thousands on the cards. And I, I didn't think I'd get into many singles. So I took a step back from playing many singles points and training with singles girls. And I kind of trained a lot with Nikki and did a lot of double specific drills. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that, that was probably the one thing. Um, I'm going to have to go back to playing a little bit of singles because I did feel like right after US Open, I didn't know how to run across a whole court. <laughs> In all honesty, it was quite an adjustment. You get to again. that midline and just stop. I was, yeah, I was like, I wait, do? I have to get that. <laughs> yeah, so, but I think in terms of like time on court, it doesn't really change. I, I've always been someone that likes to get a good amount of time. I'll do two hours, you know, in the morning and maybe an hour in the afternoon if I can. It just depends if it's, you know, match the next day and things like that. But I also love playing points. Um, I, I feel like that's the best way to keep in rhythm and work on things is when I'm playing under pressure. So especially with me and Nikki practice, if we can get doubles points, we do. And then the same in singles. If I can get singles points, I will. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. It seems um, like it can be definitely a bit of a disadvantage if you have to you know, manage both of those things at once versus players who are able to commit you know, all of their time, mental energy, uh, things like that to one or the other. Um, so I know you have to go here in a few minutes. Um, two last questions for you. Number one, what is your favorite tournament? Oh, I, I feel mean, like I'm... let's hear a WTA and an ITF because I feel like we hear a lot of WTA oh, tournaments, question. but a, a, the ITF tournaments have a reputation, I think, for being in some random, you know, smaller town. <laughs> so maybe one ITF as well. Okay, so WTA, I mean, it's actually ITF technically, uh, yeah. is Australian Open. <laughs> okay. I feel like, yeah, obviously very biased, but I think they do a really good job at creating that, um, yeah. you know, entertainment slash fun zone. And it's, it's a good time of the year in Melbourne. I think every, the players love the city and what they have to offer and things like that. So I, I think that's my favorite. Um, and I haven't, everyone always says Indian Wells, but... I've not played it. I, I went the year that COVID hit and mm. didn't get to play. So we'll see if that one exceeds Australian Open. But um, ITF, hmm. Um, <laughs> I feel like my experience of ITF is having housing and whichever family and kind of, mm. yeah. you know, n- nice people I meet along the way is what influences that decision more so. Because, um, you know, some ITFs can be in the middle of nowhere but if you have a really nice family and people that care and they like, yeah. you know, just at least run the tournament well, it changes everything. So one that comes to mind, I guess, might have been um, Bonita Springs. I really, that's 100K there. And I um, stay in the most incredible housing. And that, so that might be top of the list right now. Uh, awesome. Yeah. So last question. I know you have to give practice with Nikki. Uh, how can we make doubles more popular? Oh, um, well, it'd be good if, uh, the WTA got on board with a lot more promotions and, um, you know, and all these like videos they do about asking the players questions and things like that. If there's a lot more promotion of the doubles girls, um, Mm -hmm. 
I think that they're doing a better job of showing like shot of the month and including doubles um, points and things like that. I think, sure. you know, it starts with showing the world there is the doubles event yeah. <laughs> in an aspect. I mean, as it's much true. as... true. I, I have people like email me and they'll say like, oh, I didn't even know doubles was televised. And some yeah. people who aren't tennis fans are like, oh, I didn't know professional doubles was even a thing. Yeah, and that's even so. another thing. Even something I'm realizing this week is... The 3 p.m. doubles match, it's not being shown on Tennis Channel. It's on right Tennis Plus. Yeah. So and pay, I'm just like, yeah. and it's like, this is like the year end yeah. finals. This is like the, the championships of championships, and we're not being shown on like a convenient channel. And it, it actually happened to me in Cincinnati. Our doubles finals wasn't shown on um, Tennis Channel. It was actually pickleball tournament being played. Yeah. And um, I'm just thinking, you know, this is the, the thousands final, and it's a mm-hmm. local pickleball tournament that's being shown. Like, Clearly, doubles maybe doesn't mean that much. But um, I think, yeah, it, I think we're doing the right things going forward. But there is still obviously a long way to go. Yeah. Yeah, there definitely is. Awesome. Well, Ellen, thank you for uh, coming on for a second time. And uh, hopefully we'll have a third time next year. And you'll uh, be here at the year in finals playing as well. Yeah, that'd be nice. That'd be nice. If you're a doubles player, you'll love our weekly strategy newsletter. Every Thursday, I send you my best doubles tips, tactics, and strategies that you can use in your very next match. And when you sign up, I'll also send you a free 20-page ebook that has my favorite doubles tactics for forcing errors and getting more easy volleys at the net. Go to thetennistribe.com newsletter to sign up now.